for me to make sure we record it. But let's go ahead and read Exodus 15, verses 22 through 27. And we're going to cruise through chapter 16 kind of quickly because, one, this first part is actually long. Um, and uh, the other part is that chapter 16 can be summarized relatively quickly anyway. So there's just a lot of things going on, but it's pretty easy to summarize. So here's what Moses tells us in chapter 15, verse 22. He says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and went out into the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it's called, it was named Marah. Right? The, the Hebrew is basically the word for bitter. <clears throat> the people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. The Lord made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that heals you. Then they came to Elam, where they were, there were 12 springs and 70 date palms. And they, excuse me, they camped there by the water. Right? And so here's the main idea for this is, that we need to trust God enough to wait for him to provide. Because right? just, just in those few five or six verses, we saw that they had bitter water. Then he fixed that problem. And then he brought them to the place that had a whole lot of water. And a whole lot of, at least the dates. You could eat the dates and they give you good energy. And at least it's something to eat. And so this first part, I titled it, Bitter Water Made Sweet. And so the Egyptian army has been destroyed they're free, you know, the Israelites are now free, but they're kind of headed out of the frying pan and into the fire. So they get a little bit of reprieve, but they're getting into what looks like this terrible problem. So they're headed into the desert region beyond the Egyptian border in force, and so it's, it's basically a no man's land. And they're somewhat prepared. We know they have some stuff. They had taken bread with them. They have animals. They have certain things with them. But one of the things we need to survive more than anything else is water. Right? We have to have water. I think basically what, what it usually says is there's, you know, we have about three days worth of water supply in our bodies. That you can sort of, that's sort of the max for the most part. The maximum you can survive without water is roughly three days. You can go longer without food. But you still need that water. And now remember, they're, they have been probably you know, moving quickly for the most part. They have been going and, and trying to move with speed because they had to get away from the Egyptians. So they, were get, they would be getting thirstier as they had to kind of probably not necessarily run because there's a whole lot of people to make run. But at the same time, they're moving quicker. They're under stress, everything else. You, your body needs more liquid, more water anyway. But they didn't have the time, remember, because the Passover is God's like, look, you need to go. So they didn't have time just to like, pack their car with everything they would need for however long of a journey is, right? They like, just take what you can carry and go with you. So they traveled three days in the wilderness without finding water. So again, they're right there at the edge of like, your human limits in a sense that you, can, you may start dying or having severe problems at least because you, you're... Your heart can get funky, you can start getting pass out, you can pass out, you can get a heat stroke, depending on what, you know, this is a little bit earlier in the year, so it's not super hot yet, theoretically. So the one commentator says that they're presumably heading south towards Sinai along one of the ancient caravan routes 
that offered reasonable passage on foot for caravanners who brought, who brought ample water supplies with them. But that certainly was not laid out at a large to get a large host of people to the nearest watering place, right? So we kind of, if you're driving along highways, what I noticed was you can kind of tell based on how, you know, they start putting little towns or gas stations or rest stops places because that was kind of the limit of vehicles in places at the time. And horses because some of the places sprung up because of horses and, and wagons and things like that. That was kind of how far you could go with a wagon train in, in a day, you know, 20, 20, 30 miles or something like that. So you start having things pop up as you go. So these roads were kind of said, look, if you're planning a trip, a caravan, you're bringing goods from point A to point B, you're going to have your own stuff. You're going to have your own water. You're going to pack all your stuff. So you don't need to stop as much. So it's okay. They're nice roads, but they don't have rest stops and, and, and convenience stores and whatnot. But for all these people who are coming through here, the land and, and the, everything else could not really support this large group of people. And so if you watch survival shows like Bear Grylls or some other ones, you know that, you know, there are ways you can, you can get water or find water, but it takes time and you need a lot of water. And so because, right, food and water are two of the four basic survival things you need, right? The other two are clothing and shelter. So they had, they had enough clothing, they had enough shelter, theoretically, but they, they were running out of food and water. And their canteens and gourds, you know, their, their gourds were probably empty. And so when you live in civilization, you have access to all kinds of extras. Right? You can drive up Broadway and you can go to several different stores. Because if you need water, you can stop in any of them and get one. And you can have, right now, we have probably, I don't know, there's probably 20 different types of water you can buy. Just water alone at the store, let alone any other drink you want, right? Coffee, iced coffee, canned coffee, soda. You know, there's probably 30 or 40 different kinds of soda. So if you're thirsty, you can help it. You know, there's something out. But here, they did not have that. And so they're used to being in some kind of city in, back in Egypt where they had the market. They could go down into the market and get the stuff they needed. Or, and they had wells available so you could pull out your water whenever they needed it. But what you're looking around at right now is this brown, dusty, empty landscape. And they finally, right, they're walking up. And, and you know, if you're out somewhere in the, in the desert or anywhere even like this, you can look at things and go, oh, there might be water over here where all these trees are because it's greener. And there's probably some kind of water there, right? So you go towards that. If you know even a little bit about nature, you know, you know that water makes things grow. So things grow around water. So, oh, I'm going to walk over there because there must be some kind of stream over here. And they get there, and I don't know if they can smell it or what, but they know the water was bitter. And so what makes the water bitter is because of its mineral content. You know, so it's not fit to drink. You can tell that it's not healthy for you to drink. It's like, well, great. Not only do we not have water, we're kind of teased because we see the water, but we can't actually drink it. And that, you know, they don't have the technology to figure out how to get help to cleanse the water. And so they probably freak out a little bit because, again... They're at their three-day limit of water, so they know this is it. This, this is all, all this effort for nothing. We're all going to die here. And they ask in verse 24, what are we going to drink? Right? And you kind of hear the accusatory tone, but you can also hear the fact that they are wondering and questioning following Moses and following God. And so their survival is on this line. All the walking and running has taken its toll but God has brought them to this place to perform another miracle. 
So he tells Moses, and Moses goes straight to God, and Moses or God says, okay, here, take this tree, take this chunk of wood, throw it in the water, and it will cleanse it. And it does. He does it. Because right? he's not going to leave his people high and dry, literally. He's like, you need water to live. You need water to get to the next place. So here's what you have. And so Moses acts as an intermediary. He acts as a Christ figure, and he cries out to the Lord. And so again, God shows him this tree to throw in here, and it makes the water drinkable again. So if you watch survival shows, again, you can, you, there are, they show you usually ways you can purify water. You can use your sock. You can use some mud. You can use a reed. You can use different things to, to do it. So they don't know what kind of tree they used. Right? They're, they're not really sure. It, doesn't just, it just says a tree. And so there's a few places in the Bible and other Jewish traditions that they use as commentaries that ex explain or expand these stories. So they say oleander, the oleander tree, may be one option. That maybe you, because it's poisonous. Oleander is poisonous, but also has some other, other properties that it can actually um, clar clar or clarify and clean things. Obviously, it's always in the right dosage, right? It may actually be the actual tree of life from Genesis. So either God had this tree sitting here or he had it growing or it was the same tree. So it could have been that one. Or there's another one that I, uh, when I look doing the research for this, it's called Moringa oleifera. I think I pronounced it right. It says one website explains that the Moringa's bark, roots, fruit, flowers, leaves, and seeds and gum are used as an antiseptic in medicines to treat rheumatism, bites, and other ailments. But the seed pod has been used to desalinate seawater. Right, so it, you can possibly desalinate seawater with this just the seed part of this tree. So there are natural remedies to make water clear out, and, and they, they grow in Egypt and Africa and, and the Spanish when they were going around. They brought it to other places as well. <clears throat> and so God refreshes us when we need it, even if you don't understand how it works. Right, He's refreshing these people with water. He's giving them the fresh water they need from this miracle that happens. And so God performs this miracle on behalf of his people and for the safety and survival of his people as well. He tells them, I'm your healer. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. And so when Moses came to the Israelite elders and explained the Passover, the instructions, the commands, they were all on board, right? They're like, woohoo, let's get out of here. He's freeing us. Let's go. And it was exciting, right? They saw this promise of the freedom fulfilled. But then when they got out here into the wilderness, a couple, a month and a half or so, we're going to read, we're going to find out the dates here in a few minutes, but they've been gone about a month or a month and a half by now. All of a sudden, the reality of what it means to follow God is now coming into picture. And it becomes unfun. Because we're leaving the city of abundance, like, well, even though it's evil, even though it's the world, they have all the stuff over here in the world, and over here there's nothing. It's like, wait a minute. But is that true, right? Is that true? Is there just nothing? No, there's God. Because we don't need to be afraid when we're in the wilderness. And so Jesus went to the wilderness after his baptism, and he fasted for 40 days. He was tempted by the devil himself three different times. And then once he passed the test, he was attended to by angels. So commentator Philip Ricken says, The wilderness is a hard place. It is a place to meet with God, to be sure, and as yet it is always a difficult place. It is barren and desolate. Because guess what? When you're out in the middle of nowhere, there's nothing to look at but God. There's nothing there but Him. We don't have to be distracted by everything else that's going on around us with whatever it is. With the 30 or 40 types of water we have in the, in the cooler. Like, I just need water. I don't need 
sprinkling water, sparkling water, or fancy water, or water from Fiji, or France, or Norway, or wherever. I just need water. That's it. And so when you are with God, you realize you don't need all those other things to be near to him, because they are actually just getting in the way. Anything that's getting in the way or distracting you between God and you needs to be getting rid, gotten rid of. Or at least pushed in the, put in the right order and put in the right places so you, they, don't, they don't act as barriers. I'll say it like that. I'm not saying go ahead and go home and throw everything out. I'm saying just make sure they're not between you and God. Because oftentimes it is the times when we have nothing that we realize that if we have God, we have everything. And sometimes we just need to rest before our final destination because here, this is just a watering stop. They just get the water, they drink it, everybody takes their turn and they get to move on to Elam. And they get to go. Because God is happy to provide you the rest after the test. Like just like whenever we take tests, you're like, ooh, that was a doozy. I'm glad I get to take a, you know, because this is the end of the school year, so everybody's taking finals or graduating or whatever. So it's like, take these big tests and like, great, because I know this is the last thing I got to do. And I get a whole three months off. And so Moses demonstrated faith by immediately going to God for a minute. And that's how we should act. Moses was demonstrating to the Israelites how to act in times of drought or trial. And so Exodus 15, 26 says, He said, if you, God said, if you carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians. Because that's what God wants us to do. He, he wants us to focus on him. He wants us to think about what we're doing. And if it lines up with what is right in his sight. Does it line up with his commands and his statutes, right? The big two, what are the big two statutes? Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Everything we do comes into those two things. All the, the Jewish law they're just commentary on how to fulfill those two things. Even the Ten Commandments, they're just split into those two categories. The first four is loving God. The last six is loving your neighbor. And so then God brought them to Elam where they were, there were 12 springs and 70 date palms and they camped by the water. So what verse 26 is calling for was loyalty and obedience. Loyalty in the sense of a willingness to pay close attention to what God's will was and to want above all else to please him by doing what he thinks is right. right. We need to listen carefully to his voice. And so when God tells him that he's saying the same thing in two different ways to make sure we kind of hear it different ways, but we understand it's the same message. But we also need to be obedient by following, not failing to pay attention to all his commands and keep all his decrees. Right? Again, those two things are easy. Love God, love your neighbor. So if whatever you're doing isn't doing one of those things, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. So God's expectation was sweeping. His people must give him full, not partial, loyalty and obedience. If he wanted to, they were to do it. If, they, if, they, if he wanted it, they were to do it. That's what God is telling them. And so here's our application. This is this a quote from Thomas Watson. Is that the more bitterness we taste in sin, the more sweetness we shall taste in Christ. Right? The more bitterness we taste in sin, the more sweetness we shall taste in Christ. Because when we realize what we're leaving in the world or from the world, we know that we're getting much more in Jesus. We're getting much, much more than anything. The water he has, just like he tells the woman at the well, the water I have, you will not, make you, it will not, you will not be thirsty anymore. 
Because the normal water, we have to keep going back every day, multiple times a day. Right? It says you're supposed to drink, you know, they're saying now you're supposed to drink like a gallon of water or something a day. Right? Eight, it used to be eight ounces, so it's like half a gallon, but they say you should probably drink more than that. And we need more, we need more liquid, and of course they say coffee doesn't count, but I don't believe them. <laughs> coffee is just flavored water, good flavored water. Right, but being obedient to God is difficult because he makes us walk through the wilderness at times. We don't want to go there. We're like, that looks very barren. I don't want to go over there. It looks difficult. I have to climb the mountain. I have to climb through the rocks. It's hot. It's 95 degrees. It's hot. It's there. I don't like it. I want to stay here where it's air conditioned. I have to move and I can door dash everything. Just bring it to me. I don't want to have to go out. Right? Forests and deserts are scary for some people. We like the paths and the roads that we can see as far as possible, right? Like the Wizard of Oz, we just want to follow the yellow brick road. But even the yellow brick road went through some shady parts of Oz. And they had to get through it, though, to meet who they had to meet and get through what they had to get through. But they made it to the city. Because we had to stay on that path as much as possible. And John Calvin pointed out that God might have given them sweet water to drink at first, but he wished by the bitter to make more prominent the bitterness which lurked in their hearts. Bitterness does not come in the outward circumstances, but the inward response. We are, not, we are called not to complain, but to believe in the goodness of God, even when he leads us to the bitter waters. Right? The situation is what it is, but how we respond is what, it is what measures our heart. How we respond to this. And so God took them from a barren land with bitter water to a place with 12 springs, or, you know, and, and that may be just 12 watering holes, maybe just maybe one or two springs were feeding it, but there, it was popping up in different places, right? So you had enough water fountains for everybody to get drinks. And that would have been more than enough for people to get all their water, all their livestock, you know, watered, and all the date palms can provide food and shelter and rest as well. Because getting closer to Elam, they probably could have seen these date palms. And that one, one thing I looked up, it said is these date palms can grow up to 75 feet high. So you can see them from a pretty far off distance, probably, depending on the, the land. But you can see them like, oh, we're going there to the oasis, right? Kind of if you watch Bugs Bunny or some other show movies where people are stuck in deserts, they go towards the oasis because you can see it. And hopefully it's not a mirage. But God brings them to this place where they get more rest and more water and more food because, but they have to trust them. And so after a brief stop, we're moving down to where I, where I titled it, Eat Fresh. This is chapter 16. So after a brief stop at Elam, God moves his people on and he brings them back through the wilderness. And so we're going to read Exodus 16 verses 1 through 4. It says, The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. After they had left the land of Egypt. Right? So they're going for about a month and a half now. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to, him, said to them, If we had only died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, instead you brought us to this, into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Right? God just... They were thirsty, almost dying of thirst. And God said, here's water, and I'm getting you to the better water in a few days. And they're back to it right after this thing. They're complaining because now they're hungry. And it says, then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. 
The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And so God is preparing another test for his people, but he gives Moses the heads up. Look, I'm going to give you food every day, but you need to make sure that they do exactly what I say. Right? Only get enough for what you need. And so that's kind of the key, right? We don't need to gorge ourselves on everything all the time. But I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. That's pretty awesome. Right here we see this other miracle with the manna coming in. You just have to go out and get it. But he says, don't take too much, don't take too little. And the same goes with the quail or the doves that God's going to bring into the camp also, right? It's all, he basically is door dashing them, them food for him. Every night the food is going to come in, and every morning when you wake up there's going to be more food. You don't have to do anything. I'm doing all the work for you. You're just going to move around and go where I tell you, and that's it. But this entire situation is a test, right? It's can you follow instructions? I think there was a show on National Geographic, I think it was called Brain Games. So one of the things they had, they had an instruction sheet. And so the first instruction says, you know, read all the instructions first. And there's a series of tasks. And then you, so you see the people doing certain things that they're going through. And then you see the people checking off the task because there was a race between like group A and group B. Well, they go through different groups of group, people on group A and group B. So you see all these people doing these things. And all of a sudden, you see the one person on one of the teams stop. And she's actually reading it. And she goes, okay. And she's like, for instruction one, read the whole instruction sheet first. Right? So she does that. She's just standing up. The other guy's packing the car, doing whatever tasks are going. He's running like crazy. Everybody thinks he's winning. And she's just doing whatever. Well, she gets down to the bottom and says, if you've compl if you read all the instructions, just sign the paper, turn it over, and you win. Right? So she won the game because she's like, okay, I'm done. And he had a bunch of other tasks to finish. He was still going. Because why? Why did she win? Because she followed the instructions. All right, it's kind of a running joke, right? We get the manual, throw it away. Right? Do we need a map? No, I don't need a map. I know exactly where I'm going. Do you know where you are? Yes, I'm right here. Right? Because four hours later when I'm driving around in a circle, I know I'm right here. I have no idea where here is, but I know I'm here. Luckily, we have the GPS now, so it, it, it'll tell me. I don't have to, I, we can avoid that. Right? But we all do that because we're proud. We think we don't have things go together. And I've put many a desk together where I get to the end, and I'm like, what's this piece for? And it goes on the bottom. It's a stupid piece of trim that you have to put on before everything else, or you can't put it on. Or it's harder because you've got to lay it down and hopefully it doesn't break when you put it back up, right? People, and I, I, I told my kids this, right? They pay people to write instructions for you for this product because they know how it goes together. They know how it works. And we don't. And we can figure things out. A lot of us are smart. We can figure that out. But, but we need to follow the instructions. And God has his instruction manual right here. Again, right? It's two things. Love God, love your neighbor. That's all you got to remember. If you can't remember, what does the Bible mean? What is the Bible about? It's about Jesus Christ coming, die for your sins, and we should love him because he loved us, and we should love our neighbor accordingly because he loved us too. That's it. Everything you can, you don't need a degree for that. That's it. You can explain the Bible that way, and people will be like, oh. And if you live that out, that's even better because you're following the instructions. But unfortunately, we have this mindset of scarcity a lot of times. We want to hoard things. 
because we might run out, right? The, the pandemic, people were hoarding toilet paper. Now they said it was like a psychological reason, but what happened? You couldn't get toilet paper. You couldn't get certain things because people were hoarding it. They were buying five packs of it from Costco and they weren't letting anyone else have any. So guess what? Somebody has to lose out. Five other people, four other people lose out on getting toilet paper. But what happens is probably those people probably still have toilet paper from then if they bought that much because you're not going to use it all. Luckily, toilet paper doesn't go bad. But a lot of times we buy stuff we, can't, we don't need or we can't use it before it goes bad, right? So we go to Costco and we have to be careful what we buy because we know we're not going to use it all. No. Costco cheesecake, we will buy that and I will eat it. As long as it doesn't have little spots on it, it's okay to eat, right? Totally fine. And I think red spots are okay, blue spots are bad for mold. But anyway, right? But that's what we think. We think, oh, I don't need this. And Costco wants to sell us this amount of massive amounts of food. And it's like, well, I'm not going to a church potluck every single week. I just want one bagel before they go bad. Right? But the Israel, we have to have, we have to learn to think and live with a mindset of contentment. Going back to the crackers, right? I will eat these crackers because I want crackers with my soup. That's the goal. I know they don't have to be saltines. I prefer them to be saltines. That's fine. But I will eat these other ones too just as much. But the Israelites haven't learned this lesson yet in their story. And sometimes we haven't either. But Paul tells the Philippian church when he's talking about the support that they could or could not give him in Philippians 4 verses 11 and 12. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. This is him writing us from jail, most likely. And he probably didn't have a lot in jail. We all have to take that to heart. right? When we don't have something, you learn to not only live without it, but you learn to, get, to make do or get creative. So how many of us had, had, have, have made hamburgers and realized you didn't have buns and you had to just use regular bread? Right? It works. It's still bread. It's all bread. It just doesn't look like a bun. It looks weird and doesn't so you know, granted the grease soaks through it, but it's a hamburger. It doesn't have to be round. It's totally fine. That's why Wendy's makes square burgers, because they fit on the square bread. But Paul understood that this, the most important item or person in his life was Jesus. He was, he was motivated because he was there either living free or living in prison because of Jesus. And if he was in prison, he was there to talk to somebody about Jesus in prison. And he talks about it. He says, look, I've, I've basically converted the, the, the guards that live here with me that keep guarding me. He's like, I sit there and talk to them about Jesus because they, they can't move. So <laughs> they're going to hear it. Right. Even Patrick said before, he kind of always wondered why he kept going to, the, going to the, the hospitals every once in a while and he would get stuck with somebody. He's like, well, I must be here to talk about Jesus for some reason. with him. And that's what he did. So he would just do that. And he was happy. And it made him happy to talk about it. And so Paul understood that his obedience was to God and not the law. And so this is what God is after with his people. They want, him, they want that they trust him enough that he will provide and what he gives them is what they need and not just what they want. And so that's what they're doing. That's what God wants. He, he's not making the rules to make the rules. He's helping them out. He's instructing them. 
But he, what he wants is trust. And so when we trust God that the wood cleanses the water and the blood cleanses your soul, right? We don't understand how that works, but we know that it works. Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and that's what made it right, because God is the only one that could satisfy that rule. And so that's why Jesus had to die on the cross. We can live our lives by looking to God and moving when he tells us to move and waiting when he tells us to wait. So wrapping it up. Why do we have trials? To see if you've learned the lessons that God is teaching. It's the same reason you have a test in school. They want to make sure that you picked up enough, whatever the standard is, that you understood the, what they were teaching you for the last two weeks or whatever it is. That's why we have tests. We don't like tests. They're annoying. It means I've got to study and I've got to remember things and you, know, you stress out. But that's what it is. So it never stops. And so why do we go through the wilderness or hard times? It's to make us to forget about all the fluffy, comfortable things that we have or we think we need and that we only rely on God again. So he, he sometimes strips us all the way down and builds us back up again. And so God doesn't want us to be miserable. I want to make sure I'm clear on this. Right? He's not just doing this to be annoying or just, just constantly like living in basic training, but he wants us to, be, to realize that he is the source of our joy and contentment. Right? That's what it's all about. He is the source. Now, he will give us things to help us along, a job, food, cars, people, whatever. They are part of that, but he is the one doing all those things. And so the question you have to ask yourself this week and really every day from here on out is, am I grumbly or am I grateful? Right? Am I going to grumble about this? Am I complaining whatever God provided me? Because if everything comes from God, then everything then you're grumbling about whatever God gave you. But are, or are you grateful what God has given you and what he's doing in your life? Right? And so this week when you go out, if you're in a test and you need something, look to God for strength. Be like Moses. Look to God. Cry out and say, God, we need help. I need help. Look to him for strength, for wisdom, and ask what he wants from you to achieve with, for, because of his will in your life. Right? Ask those questions. It's okay to ask God. God is totally fine with that. And he will tell you most likely in some form or fashion, this is what I need you to do. And we just need to listen and obey and say, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I'll do it. Right? So as we go out this week, as we sing our last couple of songs, think about that. Are you grumbly or are you grateful? with what you have and versus grumbling what you don't have. All right, so let's go ahead and stand and we will